We are a very busy church and there are a lot of things that we're doing. This weekend has been amazingly busy for all of our staff. We've had teaching going on with uh, the class at Susan Rome teaches every Sunday at 11 o'clock. They went through Grace Works yesterday, didn't they, Christy? And so 11 of them went through sort of a teaching about gifts and how you use them in the body. Someone in the group said, well, I've got an idea for a ministry. And we are not done creating and developing ministries to reach out to this world city that needs the Lord Jesus. So if there's something bubbling in your heart, you may want to talk to one of us and say, hey, we've got an idea for something that might help us reach more people. And God is busy deploying us week by week into the city of New Orleans. More than a 100 volunteers every week that are going into the city in various ways. But we do not believe that the work we are doing brings us salvation. All right? We are saved only by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. And no matter how many times you go to Care Effect or you feed hot meals out of Central City or we know that doesn't earn us salvation. Amen? Nothing we can do compares to what Jesus did on the cross of Christ. When he died upon that tree, he paid our sin debt. And that alone washes away our sin and brings us into God's presence. So... That is a teaching that we believe, and we believe it is anchored in the very first chapters of the Bible. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 21, where I am this morning as we sit down with Isaac. We sat down with Abraham for 13 weeks, all right? Jesus said, many will come from the east and west, and will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob... At the feast in the kingdom of heaven. And he was talking about us. In another saying, he said, many will come from the east and west and north and south and sit down at the feast. And that's who we are. People, not most of us physical descendants of Abraham, but people who came from the north, south, east and west and are now sitting down with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and enjoying the blessings of the promise of God. And in Genesis 21, we have this story that I want to read for you, but I want you to pay attention to God's Word this morning because we are going to go then to the great Apostle Paul and see how he shed lights on and, in, and interprets the Scripture, okay? I'm in verse 8 of Genesis 21. The child grew, that's Isaac, the child of promise. Last week, we talked about the birth of laughter. We said that laughter follows burning sulfur rain in the story of Abraham. And some of you have keyed on that. And you said, yes, I'm believing that laughter is going to follow the burning sulfur rain that I've experienced. Well, in the scripture it does. God sends judgment on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, but then he sends laughter. That is the child of promise born in the old age of Abraham and Sarah. The child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. 
Now this is the son who was born out of the plan Sarah herself concocted to help God with the promise. She did the unimaginable, the unspeakable. She who was wed to Abraham and loved him fervently and passionately put another woman in his arms. And out of that union there was born a son. And this son was mocking Isaac. And Sarah said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. I believe her lower lip was trembling. What do you think? The matter distressed Abraham greatly. Why? Because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you. Because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also. Because he is your offspring. Now turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians is one of those four rapid, small epistles, letters of the Apostle Paul that are all together. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. All right, Galatians is the first. Chapter 4, verse 21. Now, this is not just a reflection on the text we just read. It is a way for you to understand how the Old Covenant... And its stories teach the salvation of grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. All right? You may think the old covenant's all about law. Not so. Embedded in it is the covenant of grace. The new is in the old concealed and the old is by the new revealed that's how your two sections of your Bible go together the new is in the old concealed I'm going to show you that in a minute and the old is by the new revealed we're going to read that right now Okay. verse 21 of chapter 4 of Galatians tell me you who want to be under the law, that's those of you who want to earn your salvation, who want to keep a list of commandments and so make yourself fit for heaven. Those of you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. Who's that? That's Sarah. Who's the slave woman? That's Hagar. His son by the slave woman 
was born in the ordinary way. How so? Sarah put Hagar the Egyptian in the arms of Abraham. And she conceived. But his son born by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. What I say last week? A covenant is a promise. You got the old promise and the new. We relate to God in regard to the promise made to us through Christ. Verse 24. These things may be taken figuratively. For the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to what? The present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. Never got broke free from the old idea that the law brought salvation. That the law is how you find favor. Never got free. But the Jerusalem, verse 26, that is above, is free, and she is our mother. That Jerusalem guide who was a Zionist Jew told me that the way to heaven goes through Jerusalem. And he was talking about the geographical city set at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. And I said, it goes through Jerusalem all right, but it's the new Jerusalem. Verse 27, for it is written, be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. This is Sarah. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you brothers, listen up. Now you brothers, he's talking to you who are saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. Like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now, but what does the Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. That's the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. That all God's children are children of promise. I'm going to give you three things not to try, okay? Out of this text. First one is this. Don't try... To cook your way to peace. You say, what in the world is a man talking about? Abraham held a great feast. 
Abraham is not entirely clueless as to what is going on in his family. Amen? But what this family needs is a good barbecue. So we are all going to get out there together and we're going to barbecue and we're going to enjoy each other. Adam was asleep when God brought him Eve. And men have slept through most of the important family developments ever since. (laughs) Abraham's 100 years old plus. He's going to have a family feast. And we're going to enjoy one another's company. And all of a sudden... The pressures that were already in that family and the places where it already was cracking begin to come apart and the party explodes. Ishmael makes fun of Isaac. Sarah sees it and she goes to Abraham and she says, it's over. It's time. Now listen, dads, keep doing the barbecue, all right? It is a good thing to break bread together. It is a good thing that Abraham is doing. We need to eat together. We need to have fun and fellowship together. Once a month, we drag a table right into the middle of this room, and we call it the Lord's table. And we serve a little meal off of it, and that's part of what Jesus loved to do. He longed to, loved to, passionately desired to sit down and eat with his brothers and sisters, his family of faith. And when he is in his resurrected body and he has come out of the grave, where do we find him? We find him scrambling along the Sea of Galilee, gathering driftwood, making a fire, and cooking some fish and bread on the fire. He's getting ready for breakfast for the boys. He loves doing that. So I don't want to discourage you, Dad, from barbecuing in the backyard. But I don't want you to suppose that you can cook your way to peace. That these fellowship events will overcome the things that actually pull families apart. What's that? It is the unbelief and the disobedience that happened when Sarah and Abraham put Hagar in his bed. Men, it is more important for you to live a holy life and follow the Lord Jesus and resist temptation when it comes. And say yes to the Spirit of God who convicts you. And stand before Him clean and holy. And clean up your language. And clean up your mind. And clean up your heart. Than anything you can do at a barbecue. That's what I'm saying. God delivers His peace. As the men He has called. Follow Him fearlessly. And faithfully. And when the women he has called stay true to the call, what happened to Abraham's family 
happens to so many families and it cannot be repaired by band-aids. Our families struggle. And I'm speaking to people who have been through burning sulfur rain with their families, some of them. And you have wondered when the fire would stop in your family and what the next crisis would be. And if you suppose that your family and you in particular are beyond usefulness to God and beyond His grace because you've had such a convoluted history, well then, you just hadn't been paying attention to Abraham's family. Or Isaac or Jacob's family. You talk about messed up families, read your Bible. If you were trying to eulogize the saints of the old covenant, would you have written this stuff? Would you have written about Abraham's barbecue and how it blew up? Would you have told the whole world about how he tried to pass off Sarah as his sister? Would you have? This word is inspired. It is the word of God to help you know that your family's not beyond his grace. No matter how much trouble you've had. Sister, you're not beyond his grace. There are no dead ends with God. I'm so glad about that. Family's important to God. But for you to be the ideal family, mom, dad, and the kids, all living together in the same house all the days of your life, that's not necessary for God to use you, brother. Sister, children... God uses people from all kind of families. These patriarchs that we call the father of the faithful and with whom now we are sitting down, trying to learn from them. They had multiple wives, some of them. Their wives schemed and lied. We're going to find out about how they tricked dear old dad in just a couple weeks. They themselves acted selfishly and foolishly. Has that ever happened to you? Father, Dad, have you acted selfishly and foolishly? God's grace is greater than how much of our sin? All of it. All of it. And this barbecue that dear old Dad threw and it exploded in his face is just an illustration of the greatness and power of God. Don't you give up on the family God has given you, as hard as it may be, as strange as it may sound. Don't you think you're beyond God's grace? God's mightiest heroes are people who have come from what we would call dysfunctional families. God has a plan and purpose for you that goes beyond the trouble you've seen. Don't try to cook your way to peace. Just follow God to peace. Just obey him. Just listen to his voice. Be full of his spirit. When I baptize somebody, I say to them very often, God wants to make you one of his mighty men, one of his mighty women. Take that call in personally, would you? God wants to make you mighty in his sight. I don't care what your history is. Don't try to help God 
keep his promises. That's the second one. Don't try to cook your way to peace. Just trust and obey. Don't try to help God keep his promise. There are lots of things you can help God do. In your family, in your community, God has called you to be his partner. Sometimes when we're praying before we have church here, the staff is praying and we're just all astonished that God wants to use us. Why us? Lord, why would you make us partners in the ministry? It's a joy. It's a wonder. We love it. But God, why would you do it? And yet it's what he chooses to do. He calls us into his service. He calls us to love our neighbor. He calls us to do unto others as we would do unto ourselves. He teaches us to follow him into our communities and into our world. There are lots of things you can do, but you cannot help God keep his promise. Abraham and Sarah decided to help God keep the promise. It was coming over a long period of time, seemed like it was delayed, so maybe the best thing was to go ahead and try to work something out themselves. And they had Ishmael. And Ishmael fought with Isaac. You know, there's an anti-bullying bill in the U.S. House. Do you know that? They needed it back then, all right? Ishmael was being tough on little Isaac. Isaac's not this tall, just a toddler. He's ridiculing him, mocking him. And Paul says, you know, that still happens. The children of promise still get ridiculed by the children of the law. The slave woman's son still beats up on the free woman's son. Brothers and sisters, we are witness to an amazing and wonderful thing that distinguishes our faith from all others on the planet. It is this, that we come into the family of faith simply, purely, and only by grace. It's by grace that we become children of God. We all want to help. I know some people who say, oh, I believe in Jesus, but I believe you got to keep the Ten Commandments or you're going straight to hell. How are you doing on those Ten Commandments, by the way? Doing pretty good on those Ten Commandments? Ready to stand before God on your keeping of the Ten Commandments? I know some people think they're keeping the law. Yep. No other gods before me. You love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and there's not a single nagging doubt about it in your soul, right? You haven't killed anyone lately. That's good. Have you hated anybody lately? Haven't committed adultery. That's good. What about lust? How are you doing with that? Have you been perfectly honest with all the people in your life? And if you're going down there just checking those things feverishly and saying, man, I am lined up. How about, how about that last one? Thou shalt not, what? Covet. 
Thou shalt not covet. And the last commandment tells you what Jesus was talking about when he preached on the commandments. The commandments are not just about externals, they're about your heart. And Paul the Apostle even says, I was a keeper of the law of Pharisees of Pharisees. If you'd have seen me, you'd been astonished and amazed at how well I was doing it all. I was checking all the boxes. Until I got to covet. Oh, if the law had not said, thou shalt not covet. But it did. And when I read, and I was honest with myself, thou shalt not covet slayed me. It brought me death. I knew I didn't measure up. I wasn't keeping the law. And the truth is, we want to help God out with his promise because we are proud and that itself is our biggest downfall. We want to parade our good works and say, well, I may have been a liar, but I was no thief. And we all have our moral hierarchy. And we are experts at self-justification. We can justify our actions. I'll bet you there's somebody in this room who just did something that you know is wrong, but you're justifying it. You're thinking it through. You got to justify it. I didn't do anything more than other folks did. I'm better than most. I did this, but self-justification. We're really good at that. And in pride, we want to take part in the process of our salvation. And we want God to respect what we bring to him. I know what you're saying, preacher. I know what you're saying. But I work hard. I do good things with my money. I want God to respect what I bring to him with my hands, the work of my hands. I'm a self-made man. I've worked all my life. I want God to respect what I bring. And you're just like Cain who murdered his brother Abel. You know that, don't you? That's what Cain brought to God. The stuff he'd grown with his hands. Here it is, God. And God said, no. I told you what I wanted. A blood sacrifice. And God had respect to Abel, but not to Cain. Cain got so mad about it, he killed his brother Abel. Over what? Because God would not accept a sacrifice that he made with his hands. Here's what I'm getting to, okay? If you have a list of commands and you think keeping those commands is how you're going to get into heaven, you're no different from every other system of religion in the world. They're all trying to do that. That's what they're all... That's man-made religion. Your list doesn't look like everybody else's because you've got your own personal list. You're a child of the slave woman. Don't try to help God with his promise. The only way you'll ever appear in his sight, blameless before him, is to trust his son Jesus who died for you on the cross. That's the only way. And that's all there is to it. It's Jesus plus nothing. Not even works of religious activity. Not even getting put down in that baptistry. 
or participating in the Lord's Supper. These things are external to what God does in your heart as you acknowledge you are a sinner who cannot measure up and you receive salvation from God that is freely given to you because Jesus paid it all. Don't settle for just an ordinary birth. Everybody gets born in the ordinary way. And some folks, that's all they want. But Paul says, there are two boys here, Ishmael and Isaac. One's born in the ordinary way. Here, Abraham, take my Egyptian slave, Sarah. You can have a child through her. Maybe he'll be the child of promise. So Abraham has this child born in the ordinary way. And when he talks to God, he says, Oh, that Ishmael might live in your sight. He pleads with God, Oh, God, let him be the child of promise. No. No, I'm going to wait till you're so old that nobody can claim credit. It will be an evident miracle of God. This is the child born of the promise, Isaac. And it is through Isaac and Isaac alone that I will bring the blessing I promise to you. And what's that say? All along from the beginning of the Bible, it has been God's promise upon which we stand and rely. God intervenes in our lives. He calls us to himself and we must believe it is our part to believe the word that he delivers. Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteous. He had right standing with God, not because he was so good, but because he believed. Do you believe? Have you received Christ as Savior? Have you been born in the supernatural way? A long-time Jew came to Jesus at night under the cloak of darkness, not wanting for people to know that he was getting advice from this radical rabid rabbi. And he comes to him and he says, we know you're from God. Nobody can do all these things unless God is with them. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, verily, verily, I say unto you, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless a man is what? Born again. He cannot, what? See the kingdom of God. You got to be born again. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is puzzled. And he says, well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he go back into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus says, look, look, look. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I say unto you, you must be born again you got to be born of water. That's the natural birth, the ordinary birth. But you got to be born of the Spirit of God. That's the extraordinary and supernatural birth. That's the birth of promise. It is John the Beloved who most often comes back to this idea of the new birth when he tries to explain what God wants to do in your life. You must be born again. That ordinary birth is not enough. This new birth comes only from God. And without it, you can't see the kingdom. And some of you struggle with seeing the activity of God in your world. 
You wonder, is God really doing anything in my world? I don't see. Part of it is you can't see the kingdom because you've never been born again. When you're born again, you can see the kingdom. Unless a man is born again, he can't see the kingdom. I want you to see the work of God in your family, all around you, in your neighbors, in your employment place. I want you to see the work of God, but you've got to be born again. And after you're born again, the world looks different. Why? Because you're part of God's family and he's introduced his grace into your heart. If any man is in Christ like that, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things are become new. It's the picture of baptism. It's the new creation. It's the new birth. It's the new life, the new walk, the new heart, the new way, the new home in heaven, the new assignment from the Father, the new sense of who you are, the new purpose in your world. To know the God who made you and brought you into being, who is far beyond your ability to comprehend or understand, who calls you to himself not because you're so special, but because he's so special and he loves you. This is a moment to say to the God who made you, I am ready for grace. I am past ready for grace. Do you know what it's like to walk in grace every day? You know what that feels like? Do you know the joy, the spring that puts in your step, the way that straightens up your shoulders and gets your chin up? Do you know what grace does for you every day to walk in grace? To not only experience it when you are saved, but to experience it day after day. A cleansing flood that follows you through all your faltering, stumbling way. And you know that God cares for you. And is it work in your life despite it all? And that his grace is truly greater than all your sin. This is what you need. Not to work harder as a child of the slave woman. But to by grace receive the salvation God's already bought and paid for with the blood of his son. And to become thereby a child of the free woman. And part of the family of faith. Let's bow together. If you have never experienced this grace in your life, if you've held on to your own systems and ideas and the works that you're doing, and these are your guarantee, you think, for how you're going to get into heaven, would you just let all that go and recognize that as part of your own sinfulness? And just say, Lord, I confess I'm a sinner and I've tried to do it myself. And all these things I've done, I cast them upon you. I lay them at your feet and I ask for your forgiveness for my sin and I come without anything in my hands, God. I come to you believing that you love me, that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin 
And I'm just trusting in Him. Would you open the door of your heart and receive the Christ who loves you and gave His life for you? Today, we pray that you would call us to yourself, men and women in this room, heal us from the hurt, cleanse us from the sin, and make us your own. In Jesus' name, amen.